This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, it's been 100 days since the wildfires devastated Lahaina, Maui, Hawaii. Johnny Verona, one of the firefighters who his family battled the blaze because he works as a firefighter there. His wife literally was on shift, gives us an update on what was lost, his family, his community, and how they're healing. Are you okay with Toonies and air fresheners? And are we living in the matrix? What about the Truman Show? What about Free Guy? Well, probably not on the world of weird things. Greg Fish helps us understand why scientists can't find any evidence that we're all just living in an alien's computer as some sort of life simulation. Maybe that's good news. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. It's been about 100 days since fire ripped through the island of Maui, the town of Lahaina. And we thought we'd check in with Johnny Verona. Johnny is uh, one of the guys that uh, we spoke to right away after the fire. Johnny is a firefighter and uh, lost his house in the fire. It's hard to believe it's been more than three months, Jonathan. It's been a while. Um, you were off with the kids when the fire started. Your wife, Ina, she was working, uh, also a firefighter. And so it created uh, quite a quite an event for those few days immediately after. Um, it's nice to see your face, brother. Thanks for joining me here on the video call. Yeah, thank you. So, a hundred days later, do we have, uh, you've lived like three lifetimes in that hundred days, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely grew a lot, learned a lot, um, you know, just experienced a lot, but um, also we still feel like we're in the same spot, so it's it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things, like when you have kids, you know, you can't really remember before you had kids what right. life was like. And, but it's only, you know, it, it, it's not that long but compared to the rest of your life. So, yeah, one drop in the bucket. Um, maybe a bit of an update in your own words without a question to mislead you, Johnny, about uh, where you're at. You guys did have some help getting into a home right away. Um, talk about Lahaina, talk about your home, talk about work, whatever lands for you. Um, maybe a bit of an update in your own words. Yeah. Um, so where the first time we spoke, uh, we were at a house up north of town or up north of Lahaina. And it was somebody's second home. They donated it to us. And we've actually been lucky enough to stay there. Um, we're we have we're going to be out in December. We have um, a place to stay after that. Uh, we can get more into that later because that kind of ties into our future here. But, um, you know, just super, the more, the longer I, or the more people I talk to, the longer we've been in there, the more I realized how lucky we are to have had to have this house and to be in it and just how generous the people are to have uh, donated it to us for this long. You know, I've talked to family, you know, after it took about a month or two to really get out and start seeing people and have any, you know, any connections with other people outside of work. Um, and it, it's still very sparse. There's there's no real central gathering place. But, you know, talking to people, there's people that have moved 10, 12 times in these last 100 days, you know, different hotels, uh, short-term housing that, that they thought would turn into long-term housing that doesn't work. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a real challenge for people to find that mid-term housing. You know, there's 
there's a lot of people still in the hotels. There's a, a lot of uh, dispute about how long they should be be there, where you know, and and what the options are for the future. So it's, um, I think it's really hard for people to kind of wrap their head around everything and start moving forward if they're still worried about where they're going to be in a week or two from now. Right. And especially with the holidays coming up. So. Yeah. And that must be uh, tough, right? To see, to look forward to Thanksgiving plus Christmas and, 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 and see that. How's the humanity part going? Um, Johnny, I know that you and I uh, connected uh, in the conversation about the humans and, and how that is. And I know that the politics around all of this has been difficult on the island because of, well, everyone has different agendas and people agree or disagree. Has the humanity been able to uh, overpour the glass than some of the political things that you run into in situations like this? Yeah, definitely. There's, I mean, there's a lot of humanity in it. You, you saw the first few weeks, the first month, there's a lot of anger and a lot of things coming out, mostly on social media, some in the news where people were just angry and just kind of lashing out. But I, I think everybody, or, you know, most people have come to the conclusion that we're not going to get very far without taking care of each other and without, um, without it, the humanity, like you're saying. And there, there has been that from the beginning, you know, there's still a lot of um, the donation centers and the, the, I don't want to call them handout centers, but the hubs where you can get free groceries, um, no, we go to the Napili Noho. I, I wanted to mention them. I'm not sure. I don't know what they're, um, if, how to donate to them or whatever, but they're given, we can go there five days a week and get free produce, free groceries. Um, so, you know, you see stuff like that all the time. A lot of homegrown help for the community. And, um, you know, that that's, those are the types of things that kind of make you, you can figure out, okay, we can, we can do this long-term, you know, we can, this is possible. Uh, I'm going to post that link up for you, Johnny, just the Nepali Noho link for the, um, the community resource center. So people can learn yeah. and learn for themselves. They can decide for themselves if they want to give support because there's a button there to give support. So that, that might be a nice oh, easy way to, to do exactly that. Um, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a firefighter, um, going to work, uh, you know, you get trained to, you know, manage all things fire. I mean, there's a little bit of crazy that comes, Johnny, with being the guy who runs into the fire versus the guy that runs out of the fire. I mean, you're a special breed. There's no denying that. Um, but you've seen so much now. Does it change your look on being a firefighter? Does it cement it maybe differently after you see that, you know, this could have been way worse. It was ugly. But it's the hard work of your colleagues that saved so many people and helped people get around and did so much. How does that land at work? And has the conversation at work changed? You know, um, when it first happened, it, there's, there, you know, absolutely we wanted, you know, it, it cemented, okay, we need beer, we need to help as much as possible. And, um, but to be honest, after, you know, it, it was, it's still a very, crazy thing we i've you know we've been driving in and out of town and in the burned area for three months now and it, it's it's still being there too long and it's you, you just don't want to be there you don't want to see it so um you know it's such a big event and and i think it's such a life-changing event that you kind of put everything on the table and you analyze it and you say do is this something that i want to do is this something 
that is, you know, I want to spend the rest of my life doing it. it. It really makes you examine your own mortality and say, okay, I have this much time left. Do I want to do this? And, you know, it, that's a process that takes a long time. It's, it's not something that, uh, I mean, it, it, you're not going through all the, the real decisions. If, if I just say, yes, absolutely. hundred percent. This is something that I'm into, but I, as, as for me, as so far, it, it, it definitely has made me, um, cemented some of the the original um reasons that i got into this career and but it's also brought up a lot of new you know i i never experienced real trauma like this before and i've never seen it like this and and it's that's something that's totally new and you, you kind of have to take it and and just go with it and learn from it as as you're experiencing it so it's it's nothing that i don't think anybody has really worked through any of their emotions and uh, the trauma that that they saw and experienced that night you know it's something that's going to be ongoing so i imagine and i appreciate that really uh, authentic answer what an intersection right of there's all the reasons why uh, you wanted to choose a career of service and help people and there's all the reasons why you probably should reconsider your career and you're sort of faced with them all at once like not only as a hey by the way it's a tsunami of emotion and experience that comes and I can only imagine it's complicated uh, with your friendships, with your coworker relationships, uh, with Ina, your wife, being a firefighter as well. It's probably, I'm not asking you to share them only if you wanted to, but uh, it, must have, it must have created some s- surprising conversations that you could never have imagined either way. Uh, yeah, and I mean, as far as Ina, she was, she was in there ground zero um, the entire, through the entire night. So she is... She experienced a lot more that night than I did. Um, and she lost a lot more this, she grew up in this town. Um, you know, she, her, her parents' house burned, her sister's house burned, uh, the boat that she was born on that her dad built by hand burned. So all these things that, that are really, that are businesses, uh, the surf school that she built up and, you know, we had a vision of that a long time ago and she executed it over the last five years and, and it was doing really well and that burned down. And, and so, you know, the surf spot that she grew up in surfing, her favorite surf spot, you can't access it because the harbor is burnt and there's no, it's in the middle of town. So just, there's a lot that she's going through and, and she's, you know, she's experienced a lot more. So I, you know, I, she hasn't, I can't really speak for her, but I know she's dealing with a lot more and it's a lot harder for her right now, but so that's kind of all I can say about her. Um, I, uh, no, I think that's awesome. Oh, and I, I think that's the, sorry, sorry, go ahead. that's a, that's a nice boundary. I think that that's, uh, helps us understand and allows us to learn from Ina one day what, um, what all of that looks like for her. It, it, it's, it must be strange seeing tourists roll into town with their, uh, big hats and sunglasses and kind of coming in and a, a bit of a, a bit of a sideshow that is the town of Lahaina after the fire. And I'm sure there's a lot of rubbernecking and gawking and people trying to go places and get pictures they shouldn't and all those things as a local. Is that another intersection of emotion? Because you, you know that the economy for all the people that need to be working needs to be happening. But at the same time, you kind of just want to tell everyone to F off. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of mixed emotions. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think, people want to look into what's going on over here. The, the hotels are kind of a ground zero for that intersection where you have people that are, you know, literally 
the homeless otherwise are staying in the hotels that have lost their homes. Um, and then you have tourists there as well. So it, it is a weird intersection. Um, it's, it's a very, it's probably the most uh, emotionally charged one as well. Um, I, you know, I, being a business owner, obviously our surf school relied on uh, tourists as well, but we also had, you know, a, a after school program and everything that we, we, you know, incorporated the community. So, you know, we, I can't say, I wish there was no tourist ever again, uh, but it's pretty, to me, it just seems like a, a weird place to want to come on vacation and, and drink Mai Tais and sit on the beach right now. You know, there's, it's, there's, we're open. I think people are open for other type of visitors that, that want to be here to help, that want to support, um, you know, and then, there's also people that have, it's, you know, it's complicated. There's people that have uh, timeshares where they're owners in it. And so can you say, even though they're kind of tourists, say they shouldn't come visit, you know, and also, like you said, there's, there's all the other businesses that are struggling. Um, you know, I don't want to see other people lose their home to the bank, you know, instead of losing it to the fire. So it's, it's really complicated, but yeah. I think, the best thing that could happen is to find more long-term housing for the residents here. And that'll uh, lower the emotions a lot. Well, that is interesting, right? Can you imagine this conversation down the road where somebody says, you know, Oh, you lost your house in the fire. Oh no, my house was fine, but my work burned down. So I, the bank took my house away. I mean, that would just be beyond uh, heartbreaking for some of those families that are going through that end of it. I mean, they survive the catastrophe of it, but then it creates this financial breakdown. And, and I'm sure that you've met so many people that are like that too. How do you, how do you go through this? Uh, just you personally, Johnny, when you try to manage all these things, I mean, you do have work, you have your business, you have your wife. And then as a community member, I mean, you guys were entrepreneurs in the community as well. So you do have like a network of business people that I'm sure you feel that you have a bit of duty and responsibility to have some time with. How do you manage that and prioritize it? Or do you have to just sit with yourself and, and kind of take it moment by moment? Um, I, I, I'll say again, this, that question touches on exactly what I was talking about, how I feel so lucky to have a consistent home where we're at. That's like the first step, right? You got your, it's uh the hierarchy of needs where you need housing and shelter and food. And, and we had those, somebody volunteered those for us. So after that, then we can start focusing on some of the other things um, in life that are, you know, you need to get taken care of. But uh, it's, it's a, you're taking on 10 things that you've never done before. I've never done an insurance settlement. I've never dealt with FEMA. I've never dealt with the Red Cross. I've never, you know, all these things. We're, we're getting plans drawn, never done that before. So it's all learning and it's all overwhelming. And so like anytime things like that, like I feel like the it, it started to become more manageable once I stepped back and just said, I'm not going to get it all done. I just need to get little victories at a time, you know, fill out this paperwork, uh, apply for this grant. Um, and then even things like, today uh, or you know just working out in the morning making sure i get a workout every day or you know like today I, right before i i was driving home and the waves were okay so i said i'm gonna stop and surf because i gotta i gotta have something positive every day and and that's that's kind of the other thing and i mean i've throughout my life 
I've uh, I've never been an optimist. I've never I've been more of a realist, and some some might say a pessimist. But in this situation, I realize there's no room for pessimism. You know, it's either cut your losses and get out if you're gonna if if you're not an optimist. So I I have to like look at the bright side of everything or try to try to find the positive in everything. And that's that's kind of where I'm at right now is is just trying to make little victories every day and and trying to find the positive in things because it's pretty over overwhelming and it gets pretty heavy if if you don't have those yeah i hear that and i appreciate that that's open and honest now um your spot just off front street um the surf shop was right literally right there in the heart of where everything that that burned down. Is there any um, good news on rebuilding the house and and all that? Is that traction even happening, or is it so far off you can't even talk about it yet? Uh, as far as our house that burned down, it is along. It's unknown. It's unknown at this point. It could be, you know, if everything works out, they get all the, the debris cleared. It could be a year from now. That's probably the earliest. Um, it could be three to five years from now before wow. that lots, before we get the green light to build or they start issuing permits, you know, there it's, there's so much that needs to happen because it's an old neighborhood. Um, we have cesspools instead of sewage, you know, so our, we, our lot had a septic tank. So, you know, it's, it's still in town, but it's, we have septic tanks. So we're not actually connected to sewage there. So some of the older homes, they're not going to let them rebuild without figuring out wastewater. And, you know, and if we have to wait for sewage to get put in, that's going to, that's a massive project, you know? Mm -hmm. So these, these are things, you know, if any, any infrastructure, it's this balance of, um, okay, we can't rebuild the exact same town, but just burn down, but we need to do it fast. And, And that's, you know, that's the biggest challenge that I see, you know, um, is that, you know, especially for me and, and other people have, have other challenges and I don't discredit them. And I don't think mine's more important. It's just, this is where I'm at and where we're at. Our family's at is every month that goes by, we owe another $3,500 on our mortgage, you know? And, and that's something that I didn't really even understand that before is that the insurance, if your house burns down, the insurance doesn't pay your, they don't keep paying your mortgage. Mm. So, so you know, they give you money for rent for a year or two, you know, depending on your plan and everything and who you have, and then you're kind of on your own. And so we're not really a year from now, I doubt anybody's going to be breaking ground and, and, and building. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's in that there's this constant tick area, you know, there's a, a constant weight over your head of like, okay, you know, if we're, we want to do it right, we want to move forward, but also, every month uh you know our our mortgage gets stacked onto the back and and that's some people aren't even allowed that you know some people aren't allowed a forbearance it it depends on who's holding your mortgage um some people are just supposed to be paying every month right now some people you can get a forbearance and in six months you have to pay a lump sum to get even or you know if you're lucky you can do up to 18 months and put it on the back of your mortgage and then you have a balloon payment in 25 years or whatever so crazy to think that uh, there's so much that we don't know about 
even the things we subscribe to in life in general. I mean, it's different for you because you're in America, I'm in Canada, but at the same time, when you, you know, from bank to bank and insurance company to insurance company, we've gone through that here with floods and, and um, it's so amazing that we don't have any idea of how we're going to manage and mitigate these things as they come up. Um, Johnny, thank you for such an authentic look at what's going on in town. I'll post some more links back on our shift head group. Um, as you talked about, plus so everyone can understand some of the landmarks that we're talking about as well. Um, I read an article that said that the banyan tree even has some, uh, some growth on it, some new leaves, which is at least uh, that positive growth of encouragement, at yeah. least maybe a, a spiritual or metaphorical positivity for the community. And, and so there, there are some things here, but an awful lot of work ahead and how special and confusing and difficult Thanksgiving's going to be. And then into Christmas, this Christmas for um, so many people, because again, in, in Lahaina, you have people that don't celebrate Christmas. You have people that do, but it's always been an incredibly special time in the islands for people to gather regardless of your faith. So, I mean, what an interesting few weeks ahead too, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Well, brother, thank you. It's great to see your face. I really appreciate the candor. Okay, yeah, thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. Um, bum, 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 bum. That's our phone number here on the shift. Um, text uh, looks like from Trucker Dan. Is your son driving the QE2 tonight? I'm following a BMW 3 Series. Turn signals are being used correctly, and he's cruising along at 108, 109 kph. Um, nope. Definitely not. Uh, he has an X5. But that being said, can we slow the roll on the BMW drivers never use the signal light story now? That would be great. Thank you. <laughs> See, some do. Some of us are all right. Not everybody. Let's be clear. All right, Ryan O'Donnell's in Calgary. I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in the city of Airdrie. Some stories that will make you shake your head. Some stories that make make you ponder. Are you okay with... Toonies. Oh, I I wish that we could go back to when a toonie was some serious buying power. When I was in high school, oof, if I had a toonie in my pocket, go to 7-Eleven, I was set. I had the snack, whatever I needed. Although I saw that the Calgary Wranglers, which is the Flames, uh, you know, minor team, uh, they had Toonie Tuesday, a hot dog uh, night and a video of a guy demolishing six of them back-to-back was pretty spectacular. I got to go to one of those because I would be happy to spend a toonie on a $2 hot dog again. Right? Um, yeah. yeah, toonies used to be great. I mean, because when the, you had the loony and then you had a toonie, right? Like there was value to that. It felt fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, this is an interesting story. Um, it's going to make you question and look in your pocket, that's for sure. Maybe not your pocket, maybe your change cup. A Quebec man has been charged after allegedly importing thousands of counterfeit toonies from China in what's believed to be the largest bust of its kind in Canadian history. Mike Marshall is a counterfeit coin expert. If it's a $100 bill, everybody looks at it. A $2 coin, people just don't look at them. He does and knows how to tell a real from a fake. The front right foot on them both are different. One has the split toes. A package shipped from China caught the eye of a Canada Border Service Agency officer last January. 
According to sworn affidavits, when the CBSA officer opened it up, she discovered more than 12,000 fake tunies, all stamped 2012 and stuffed in plastic bags. They were bought for just five cents apiece and addressed to a man named Jean-François Genereux from Sorel, Quebec. Officers allege they discovered another 14,581 counterfeit tunies on his property, in addition to the stockpile uncovered at the airport. More than 26,000 counterfeit coins in all, with a street value of over $53,000. That is the largest bust that has been reported by Canadian authorities. According to the CBSA, one of the sellers was a company called Kunshan Long Life Gifts, located in Jiangsu, China. They're marketed as replicas and sold to buyers in North America through e-commerce sites. Counter Customs, it's, it's very, it, it's, they're busy, so they can't inspect every single package that comes in, and that's an issue. Well... They have no problem inspecting my shipment when I order socks from another country. <laughs> um, it's right. Okay, though. that's a I've lot. I've looked at a toonie. You've never looked. Never. You've never looked. You get a hundred dollar bill from somebody. You sell something online. They give you a hundred dollar bill. You kind of go, oh, oh, hold it up to the light, right? Yeah, and um, pretend you know what you're looking for because I don't. Maybe you do. I really don't. Um, but oh, that's yeah. the thing. You know what you're looking for. Yeah, it's like the 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 reflection or the hologram. You can see if it's a good bill. You can see the outline of whoever's face is on the bill clearly. Retail one hundred and one. And uh, I did catch a couple of fake one hundreds. By the way, I did catch it a few times. Really? Mm hmm. How about that? It's pretty funny yeah. being like, uh, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, you know, authenticate this bill. There's a bank just down the street. You can go there and break it up into two fifties and come back. And then they get really, really awkward and, and then they get all tense and then they run away. That's the closest I've ever come to winning a fist fight in my life. It felt awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. That reports from to Global's Taria Isri, by the way. The Tooney thief now faces five criminal charges for buying, importing, and possessing counterfeit currency. The, uh, and introducing counterfeit currency into circulation. He faces a separate Customs Act charge for providing false information on import declaration. If he's found guilty, he faces up to 14,000 years in prison. So what happens to the 26,630 alleged fake tunies? Well, they're stored in a CBSA Montreal vault until the case ends. Then I'm assuming they get melted down. So if you have to report cash of $10,000 or more, why wouldn't you just import 5000 Loonies, 4,999 loonies, toonies. And then you don't have to report it. I mean, your bag would be really heavy. I suppose that's a thing. Mm-hmm. That would be an issue. That would weigh, God. you would need a forklift, several forklifts. And then God, you need that'd a license heavy, to eh? operate them. Yep. Not to mention the cost of your flight probably eats into your profits. We'd be terrible criminals, eh? We would be awful. I don't even think the plane could leave the tarmac. It would be too much weight. Yeah, it'd be heavy. Yeah. Yeah, that's heavy shipping. Interesting. Well, they have no problem catching my stuff. Not that I smuggle in <laughs> fake currency, but you get what I'm saying. Let's charge duty on this. Okay. Um, are you okay with air fresheners? Um, 
I've never bought a plug-in one. I've got some Febreze, you know, for, ooh, the trash needs to get taken out. You take it out. Ooh, that's lingering, you know, nice and easy. But uh, it's the ones in the car. My buddy had this air freshener in his car, and it was in the shape of a skeleton. We could never figure out what the, sm- the, what the smell was. He just got it at like a car show or something. And it was the best smell ever. It was the be- His car smelt divine. It's what I imagined the gates of heaven smell like. It was that good. And wow. then, like all air fresheners, it dried up. And But he was okay. We left it there. That air freshener sat in his car empty and used for like five years because we could not get rid of it. And then he sold the car and the air freshener went in with it. Interesting. I I bought a car once because it smelled so great. And it was, and then I found out, I'm like, this car smells amazing. And then um, it was just the air freshener. That was it. And then I went looking under the seats and I found it. It was a canister. And then I Googled them and found them. It's like a little canister thing that you sort of twist it open just a little bit as opposed to the ones that hang down. But they make me all wheezy if they're really like chemical smelling. So... I'm the guy that if I come over to your house and it's like mega fragrant, I'm like, hey, can we turn that thing off? <sighs> Can't breathe. But would you consider an air freshener to be a high value item? Well, maybe after some chili. According to one St. Louis man, they're worth going to jail over. Police responded to a break-in at a former seafood market and restaurant and arrested a suspect for stealing $1,200 in air fresheners. Court record show on Thursday night. That didn't stop Rataka Lamanze Marshall from apparently, according to U City Police, stealing 120 cases of Airwick air fresheners and those 24 cases of tea. U City Police responded around 11:30 Thursday night. Now we talked to a couple that lives right behind the former site here of Seafood City. They've lived through the entire saga of 8,000 pounds of raw fish being taken out of here after it stunk up their neighborhood. Listen to their reaction to this most recent news. There are no surprises anymore with that place over there with the drain flies infestation. And now this guy over here, I, I guess he was breaking into a place that had already been on the news before with the drain flies. So it's just amazing that this thing just keeps on it. As they say in the news, this story has legs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Fox 2, you're funny. So, okay, that answers the question of why would a seafood market sell air fresheners? Because it's gross. So here's how the uh, fresh heist went down, according to police. Upon entering the building, an officer encountered a man standing next to a shopping cart filled with air fresheners. Despite orders to stop, he fled from the police to hide within the building. He claimed he was merely sleeping in the unlocked building and was not involved in the theft. I hate it when I sleep steal. Oh, I know. Horrible habit. Mm-hmm. Horrible habit. Just Always don't wake up trouble. a sleep stealer. You know, it just makes it worse. <laughs> Are you okay with fireworks? Oh, boy. I know where this is headed. Uh, firework by Katy Perry. Iconic millennial anthem. Great song. Mm. Fireworks. Yes. Absolutely. I enjoy a nice fireworks show. And uh, one of my favorite videos on the internet of all time is a fireworks show in San Diego, I believe. 
where they accidentally launched all like several thousand fireworks at once and it created a enormous explosion and it is hysterical i wish i could show it to you now or play it for you now but it might blow out your speakers but i recommend finding that video because it's better than any fourth of july or canada day parade uh fireworks show you'll ever see Imagine Canada Day without the bang and flash of a firework. Instead, seeing a fleet of colorful drones go... Um, it's it's really cool when it happens. Um, but is it the same? Well, it seems more and more likely to happen, especially after this story from Florida. They have sharks in Florida and swamps and swamp sharks. You mean alligators? Maybe. Okay, Florida has set two new world records for drone shows over the weekend this weekend. More than a thousand of them assembled for an incredible show over the Orange County Convention Center. I mean, look at all the crazy pictures. I would have stopped my car. I I would have as well. The company behind the show, Sky Elements, chose this year's International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions Expo, or IAPA, to show what its technology can do. So their goal tonight was to break two Guinness World Records. One of them involved using drones to create this, the largest aerial image of a flag. The staff behind the show started at 9 this morning to get ready for the 6 o'clock show. They had to put the drones out, put them together, and calibrate them all in the rain. The biggest concern is visibility. The FAA requires that we have three miles of visibility. So if we can't see within three miles, we legally can't fly the show. That's our biggest restriction. Those drones don't care if they get wet. Uh, I think they do, actually. Uh, WKMG6 is the story there. The previous record for the largest aerial image of the flag was set by 998 drones in Dubai. In March of 2023, previous record for an aerial logo was set the same day, 1,500 drones. It's cool stuff. I just know that it replaces fireworks. Did you see the drone stuff from the F1 in Vegas this weekend? Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah. they. It's awesome. And the, you're right. It is a enhancement to festivities. It does not replace the fireworks. Not yet. Not yet. I think you start the drone show. You start, you know, the evening with the drone show you know cool logo or like a moving image at the at the stampede this year they did you know a guy riding a horse and then you end with the big explosion fireworks because that's just satisfying and fun except for dogs Hmm. okay i agree i think so um not fun for dogs but the watching these three two one countdowns and some of the fun playful things going on in the air with the drones um, for F1, I mean, there's some there's some cool stuff happening there. I love it. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, one movie that really got me, and I think it got a lot of people, was The Truman Show. Uh, it's kind of a blend of living in a reality show, living in a big simulation kind of thing. And then there's another movie that also really got me. Similar, but yet completely different. Is the world we live in like the Matrix? Just one big old simulation. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Now, one might say, philosophically, is this really Wonderland? Anyway, which pill would you choose? Let's ask Greg Fish. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird Weird. things with Greg Fish. Greg Fish uh, joins us um, here on The Shift every week at this time. World of Weird Things is his jam. He's a computer scientist by trade. And W-O-W-T, as in World of Weird Things, uh, dot news is his Substack, And a Substack is a newsletter, really. It's like a blog and a newsletter that gets emailed to you. You can even sign up for it, and you will get these articles before we talk about them, which is cool because then you'll know what we're talking about. There's even more than one a week. This is what we've chosen this week. Hi, Greg Fish. The title is, No, No One Found Proof That We're All Living in a Computer Simulation. I didn't know it was really up for contest. Well, amazingly, it is. And we had the conversation on uh, among the shift heads here that, uh, hey, what, what may have happened before the Big Bang and where did our universe come from? Um, and this is one of those theories. This is one of those ideas that tries to answer that question of, you know, why are we all here? Okay. The questions about the Big Bang were things like, how does nothing turn into something that's nothing? And that makes no sense. Somebody had to literally put it all together. Now, that comes into a lot of different intersections of science and faith, but the subheadline on this is, unlike pop sci headlines keep telling you, scientists have not found any evidence. We're all just products of an alien computer. Is that the way that the old Internet's taken us today? That is the way the, the Internet is taking us today. So one of the big theories about why our universe is the way that it is and why certain things in it don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, especially about where it came from, is that we are a simulation. And there's actually some real logic behind it. It's a bit of a physics thought experiment, but it is kind of one of those valid questions to ask if you just kind of say, you know what, whatever, whatever idea comes into mind, let's just just explore it and see where it goes. The idea is as follows. Currently, we do simulations all the time. And the reason why we do simulations is because we try to figure out how the universe works. We know that the simulations might not necessarily be ideal. We know that those those simulations may not necessarily reflect reality. But what we're looking for is we're looking to understand how well we understand the fundamental laws of nature or the fundamental laws of whatever we are modeling to see how and compare what outputs of the simulation and and how they compare to real-world data. So the idea is that if there's an alien civilization out there and they're sufficiently advanced and they also want to figure things out, they may also discover computing and start doing simulations of their own. And if they go even more advanced, that those simulations can get really elaborate and really bizarre and incredibly detailed. And this is when we talk about something known as resolution. Now, resolution is how deep, how much detail you can get in your simulation. When we talk about climate simulations, when we're simulating uh, what's going to happen to the climate in the next 10, 20, 50, 100 years, some of those most advanced models, they have a resolution down to one cubic 
kilometer. So one cubic kilometer of Earth, all accounted for. We know exactly how it's going to play out down to that level. Now, if we try to interact with something that is lower than that resolution, we basically get an undefined. The laws of the simulation start to break down. It looks like this packet of nothing that still interacts with the entire simulated universe. So physicists started thinking, hey, we have these things called point particles, electrons, bosons, gluons, quarks. They seem to be like these little fields of nothing that interact with everything, but they have mass and they have energy and they put together matter. And then there's other things that may be missing. So maybe they are the resolution limit of our universe if it's a simulation. And that's okay. kind of where the idea comes from. Okay, that makes sense. Um, meaning like this is as, as, as tight as it gets on your 4K screen. You know, when you go up to your TV and get your face really close. Remember the old CRT TVs and you could literally see the red, blue, green lines, right? So that's kind of what uh, you're talking no, about. No, I don't right? remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Okay, there, young man. Um, when you'd go up to the TV, you look at it, and even on the lower resolution TVs, you can see the little blocks, right? You can see what they look like. Yeah. And they... That's 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 what you're talking about, meaning that is this as detailed as it gets for our detail in the universe. And although it does lead us to believe that if they could break that resolution down to one square kilometer, then or cubic kilometer, the things like the weather and climate are distinctly different. And I, I was thinking about an access point here uh, when you talk about, you know, AI and climate and what it looks like and how they're able to project what things might look like. But at the same time, climate and weather being distinctly different, that we still can't predict the weather, though, down, especially down to one cubic kilometer. So would that would that be the same thing? Or is it just the example of the resolution that matters in this? That's just the example of the, of the okay. resolution that matters. How those how those work, it's not that's not my area of expertise. My area of right. expertise is how does the code for all of that run and how to scale it and how to actually get all of those results and have them saved in a manner that would be useful to the actual experts who understand what to make of that data. So that 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 exact question is kind of beyond beyond my competence. I was just using it as an example okay. of this is what a resolution is in a simulation. Uh, okay, so in these tiny little bozos that are uh, running or whatever science word you use there, that was way beyond me. Um, is that mean that the if the resolution is these electrons and photons and what'd you call it? Bozos? What'd you call them? Bosons. Bosons. If that's as small as it gets, that means that the programming resolution would be at b far below a cellular level. Yeah, and then, then they're able to organize these little things into, if we were a simulation, into what we are, meaning our feeling, touch, emotions, and all the things that are happening are just computer programs? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, essentially. Now, it doesn't mean that, that they would organize it. It's just that the code would allow these blocks of data to self-organize and eventually potentially result in something like us. And maybe there's a trillion other simulations that has run before us, alongside us, and, and will run after us that come up with different types of humans or no humans at all or, or whatever it is that the simulation is trying to discover. But the point of that idea is that 
because that is our resolution limit, we may not ever find out anything about point particles in, in a more meaningful way than we do now. And it also would say that there's some inconsistencies and issues with how the universe functions for us, but we won't have the technology to figure it out because we won't have the full tool set ever because we exist. Like we won't be able to peer outside of the universe or find the limit of the universe because as a simulation to us, that limit would not exist. It would not be accessible. This is not something that we could ever peer out of. So that it kind of is essentially trying to say that, you know, our, our universe is the way it is because that's kind of how it was programmed and everything that happens in it is just how the code is set up. So we should be kind of looking for the code. But again, the most important point of all of this is that this is just a thought experiment. It's not something that is really taken seriously or studied very seriously. It's more of just a, you know, I'm just kind of curious, is this a possibility? Could this, you know, could this actually work? Can we find any proof for it? And really that the reality is that we don't, we don't really know how to prove it. There's nothing that tells us that, hey, this is how we deduce that we're a simulation. This is how we would know that we're a simulation. And then it, kind of veers off into the philosophical realm. But the reason why I thought that this was actually a great time to talk about it is because popular science headlines were really abuzz with this paper from uh, a scientist named, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Dr. Vopson. And uh, Vopson is essentially claiming that he has found a law of, or rather proof, that we do live in a simulation by looking at how information is processed in the universe. Now, the problem with that theory is that it's based on the law of information that he made up. That's what a lot of those. That's what a lot of those uh, those headlines are now really telling you. So right. the the so Melvin Wapson published a paper. Uh, that coined what he called the second law of infodynamics. Essentially, he said that information is like matter because it tells you how matter and energy are organized, that it's basically the same thing. And therefore, it has to obey the second law of thermodynamics, which is that entropy increases over time. Disorder increases over time. An ordered system, a closed system, in a closed system, order becomes disorder. Uh, the problem with that is that that, is an abstract definition for it because information is, you know, you can define information in different ways. And if you essentially say, well, information defines how everything moves, therefore information is like matter and therefore it has to obey the same laws. It doesn't necessarily follow. That's There's really no, no proof of that. It's just a conclusion that he drew. And then mm. he built on that particular idea by calling it a law, which is interesting because he hasn't really actually established it as a law. If you ask a scientist, what is the second law of infodynamics? They're going to look at you and go in the second law of what now? I, I've never heard of that. Um, so he basically built on, on that law and he said, well, technically in a closed system, all of this informational order should be should become disorder. But hey, there's galaxies and there's life and there's all these things. So actually entropy for information in the universe is negative. 
Therefore, we live in the computer simulation. And if you're completely lost by that, congratulations, everyone else is too, who actually has reviewed this and, and is an expert on simulations and computers and said, this is, this is nonsense. And the reason why he published that paper is because he's trying to build a think tank offering his services to people who want to do simulations. Amazing. Okay, so an agenda behind it altogether. But in, in the world of language, electricity, for example, now that has been scientifically proven pretty strong. Um, electricity, though, needed a name. And somebody decided to call it electricity, right? Somebody decided to call it gravity. Now, there's evidence to prove that electricity happens there's some reasonable science, uh, the science of the scale in my bathroom tells me that gravity is legit. Um, but isn't that the way that science works, that something happens or is believed to happen and someone adds a name to it? So is that so crazy that he created his own name for this particular thing? It's not necessarily that it's crazy. It's that it it's not correct to call something a law when you haven't really defined it very well because okay. so for example when you when you start talking about information defining matter information is what can be gleamed about a particular object so for example if you take a black hole which is a very simple object despite having all sorts of complex physics inside of it you you can only really define it as far as the universe is concerned by its mass by its spin and by the energy that it radiates out, which is a very, very, very tiny. It's a fraction of 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 a watt, if that, depending, again, on the size of that black hole. But you notice, I just said, inside of it are all sorts of incredibly complex, complex physics. There's a potentially a singularity there, and the singularity is essentially a point of absolute disorder. So there's all of these very energetic, complicated physics and we don't have any actual information inside them. So if you were to use the information about the black hole, all you have is mass and spin and heat, and that doesn't actually tell you what goes on inside of it. So you can't recreate the black hole from that. So again, that, that's kind of the point. It all depends on what information we can glean from an object, and because we haven't really defined what is considered an informationally complete object, we can't say this is this is something that we can test. We can see how information behaves. We can uh, we can somehow uh, turn it into a law. It follows the same rules as everything else. This is that's that's really the problem. It's more he needed to say something about information to make it work for his next planned paper. Right. Observation versus study, I guess, is really kind of what you're looking at. I mean, observation is legitimate. You can perceive things to happen, but can you perceive them to happen again and again and again in that controlled environment? I think if I'm understanding correctly, that's kind of what you're getting at with all of the bits and pieces here. Okay, so we're not living in a simulation. Is that really where we're coming to with this? Because there's zero evidence of it, even though, God, it'd be nice to blame somebody. So... This is this is the really tricky part. We can't confidently 100% rule out that we live in a simulation. Good. At the same That's time, we have no evidence news. that that we live in a simulation. So we are just don't know. And it's very possible that we may never know. But at the same time, the way that I choose to look at it is 
does this actually affect us in any way, shape, or form? If we live in a simulation, yeah, we could blame the robot overlords um, or the computer overlords or the alien overlords who put us in the simulation to, you know, suffer through what we're suffering right now. But at the same time, there's not there's nothing that we can fundamentally do to change that. We still have to live our lives. We still have our responsibilities. We still have our families. We still have our loved ones. We still have our bills. Like the world mm. will not would not fundamentally change if we say that we are in a simulation. We'd still have to make the decision that we're going to have to change things. And if we want to change things for the better, we don't necessarily have to wait until the simulation concludes or we don't have to all agree that we're in the simulation. We can just do things that make our lives and the world better um, just because it would make our lives and the world better. This is kind of, so this is kind of a school of thought that's that, that kind of veers towards solipsism, which is this, this focus on what one perceives and sees, but at the same time, it it sort of works in this particular scenario. Yeah, I get, I get that, but a a lack of evidence is not evidence. Uh, We've learned that if I go to visa and I say, I paid my bill. And they're like, we don't have any evidence of you paying your bill. And I'm like, you don't have any evidence that I didn't, right? And then they're like, well, you need to prove it. I mean, that's kind of the way this all works. And I, I feel like it's it occurs to me as I hear all this that it would be really nice to have, I think we're looking for that magic easy button that goes, oh, just reprogram it. We'll be happier. And maybe that's, does that humanity maybe land into this, wish for a a simulation yeah unfortunately even with the even if you are in a simulation you can't do that so uh, i i would say that if you if you really wanted to be super technical you you would have to say we can't completely rule that out it is it is a possibility a very very remote one with astronomical odds against but at the same time it doesn't really matter. And because we don't have any evidence, we should assume by default that we don't live in a simulation. This is the real world. And whatever it is, if you want to blame somebody, blame us. Uh, I think you're wrong. Truman Show, all you have to do is walk to the end of the sky. Uh, free guy, you just go to the beach. And Matrix, just take the pill. You wake up in a little pod. Well, you're you're more than welcome to try it and let me know where that gets you deal greg fish it's world weird things you can subscribe to the newsletter you'll get more than one a week uh the link for this particular one so you can access all of it will be up at shiftheads.ca thank you maybe greg fish maybe a computer program that's simulated to be here it's nice to see you always a pleasure beep beep thanks for listening to the shift podcast make sure you subscribe rate and review the show and share with anyone you like get it on apple podcast google podcast spotify and curiouscast.ca